January of 2020, Australia is on fire. February of 2020, Kobe Bryant dies. March of 2020, COVID-19 is coming to kill us. April 2020, the economy tanks and UFOs are real. <laughs> you remember that announcement from the Air Force? May 2020, giant murder hornets. Well, hi there. My name is Fitz. Uh, I am the family ministry pastor here at Kingsburg. And it, it, maybe you remember these headlines uh, from 2020. Uh, it seemed like every time we turned around, it's like, seriously? Something else. Really. And uh, this was from a tweet that I saw in May of 2020. So where the giant murder hornets come into the picture, and there was a little arrow that says, you are here. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we were, we were right there. But then it went on to detail what the coming months could look like based on what had already happened in 2020. So let's see how close they got. June of 2020, underground crab people are discovered and they eat humans. That picture is spectacular. <laughs> July 2020, apes on horseback come for the human race. August 2020, Godzilla comes out of the ocean and he is ticked. September of 2020, zombie outbreak as a result of the COVID-19 vaccine testing. That one, that one could get a little political. We'll just get past that. Okay. October 2020, My Little Pony turns out to be real, and they eat humans also. <laughs> I don't know if you can see the little fangs on My Little Pony there. That is, that's great. November 2020, second wave of crab people. December of 2020, Cthulhu comes out of the ocean, and he is ticked. How many of you even know who Cthulhu is? All right, fellow nerds, unite. That's good. January 2021, aliens invade planet Earth. <laughs> February 2021, the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl. That one, that one. <laughs> March of 2021, the rapture. And then April of 2021, Avengers 5 comes out. So how, how close were they in their predictions? Uh, I mean, realistically, not, not too far off. I mean, how did we get from current events being something we glazed over in elementary school to like an everyday apocalyptic occurrence? It seemed like every time we turned around, something was going wrong. If, if it wasn't wildfires, it was, it was Kobe dying, it was COVID, it was, it was lockdowns, it was not being able to find toilet paper. You, do you remember that? I remember there being a 24-pack of Charmin on Amazon for $200, not going to say I wasn't tempted. Actually, I almost bought a bidet in that time. Anyway, that's personal. That's personal. If you don't know what that is, don't look it up. Okay, uh, but now we are a couple of years past 2020. Things are better, right? Like things are great now. Maybe not so much, right? The economy's in the crapper. I said, I said crapper. Um, COVID hasn't gone away yet. There's this new strain that we're worrying about. Gas prices have been at an all-time high. 
There's this painful war going on in Ukraine. Global warming is constantly rearing its ugly head. And the Browns have not won the Super Bowl still. It has this apocalyptic feel to it, right? Like, the crazy thing is that if someone were to write a movie or a book about the end of the world, they would not include all of these things because it would just be too unbelievable. It's like, you know, you read the book, it's like, yeah, it's not this many bad things would happen. And yet, here we find ourselves. Now, now for some of you, maybe this end times feeling that you're experiencing is a result of all of the above things that we've talked about, but you've experienced your own set of hardship as well. And that just exacerbates this feeling that the world is caving in on you. And then it's just, it's not so funny anymore. You've got a relationship or two or three that are just crumbling. Your your career is imploding. You've got a you've got mental health struggles. Like before 2020, you never had to worry about anxiety and depression, and now it's like a regular part of your discussion and your 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 thought life. You've got a checking account that no longer gets to the end of the month. And with all of that, it just feels like the weight of the world is is on your shoulders and it just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And you don't know if it's ever going to let up. Like, will it ever end? Will it ever stop? Or maybe you're asking a more pointed question. Maybe the question you're asking is, Jesus, when are you going to make this all right? Jesus, when are you going to fix all of this? When are you going to do something about this, Jesus? And that's the question we're exploring today. Sort of. Stay with me here. We're we're, we're in a message series called Challenging the Status Quo. And in this message series, we've been following a guy named Paul who was very instrumental in building the early church as he traveled throughout the Mediterranean region telling people about Jesus and inviting people into the Jesus life. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, but we're also going to be bouncing around. But in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in a town called Thessalonica. Now, in those days, as well as today, Thessalonica was a very influential city uh, in that region at that time, primarily because it was the intersection of two uh, significant roads and it was a port city. So there's lots of travel, lots of transportation, lots of commerce going on. So as a result, it was a very large, a very populous, very influential city. And Paul and his companions went there and spent minimum of three weeks, but a lot of experts say it was more like six months telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. We read in verses two through four of chapter 17. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So, so we can see here that Paul's message is actually received well. In previous weeks in the series, we've seen how that wasn't always the case. Oftentimes, his message was received by the Greeks, by the, the Gentiles. But when the Jewish leaders stepped in, things go sideways. Not so in Thessalonica. His message is received by the Jews, the, 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 the Jewish leaders and the Jews there, the Greeks and the Gentiles. And I don't know why, but Luke identifies also a few prominent women. I think, it's, I think that's important uh, because women were basically devalued in that society. And Luke was going, no, this is important to note that even women jumped on board the Jesus train. 
Now, as Paul frequently does, he leaves the city, but he doesn't forget about the people there. And so he leaves, but a few months later, he writes a letter back to the Thessalonians. And the reason why he wanted to write to them was twofold. One was to clear up any misconceptions, any confusion about the return of Jesus. And two, to encourage them to live godly lives, both of which we're going to examine here. You see, we aren't the first people in history to wonder about when is Jesus going to return? We aren't the first people who have looked at the state of the world and thought, when is, when is this all going to end? We're not the first people who have looked at the state of our lives and gone, I want off of this ride. This is no fun whatsoever. This has been going on for a long time, and there was likely some of that going on with the Thessalonian believers. So Paul wanted to clear up this line of theology, so he writes to them in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about people who have died so that you won't mourn like others who don't have any hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose, so we also believe that God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. What we are saying is a message from the Lord. We who are alive and still around at the Lord's coming definitely won't go ahead of those who have died. This is because the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the signal of a shout by the head angel and a blast on God's trumpet. First, those who are dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are living and still around will be taken up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. That way we will always be with the Lord. So encourage each other with these words. Now, when, when I was growing up, um, I spent my formative teen years in a very conservative church that was heavily focused on end times theology. Okay, if you're unfamiliar with this terminology, basically, it's a heavy emphasis on, it spells it out, what's going to happen at the end of the world? And we talked a lot about it, and they had us watch movies that were super scary and stuff like that. But how will the world end? When, when is Jesus going to come back? And the primary thrust of this um, theology is that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and the only thing that can save it is a uh, cue Sunday school answer, Jesus. Right, right. I heard a young voice back. Oh, that was, that was our kids director. That was not a child. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so yeah, Jesus is the only one that's going to fix it. And, and the way that Paul describes it, is pretty attractive, actually. The world is broken, and at some point, Jesus is going to return, and we're just going to be snatched up into the air, leaving all of the yuck in the world behind us. That, that sounds really great. Uh, this is what's uh, known in some circles as the rapture, as we looked at the, the headlines earlier. It's a pretty sweet deal. So basically, let's tell as many people as we can about Jesus so that they can be ready, meaning that they, that they prayed the right prayer, stamped their ticket to heaven, so that they are ready. And then along with this teaching came a healthy dose of new math, if you will. Because with this theology, everybody's trying to figure out, like, when's it going to happen? And so they're looking at, like, the earthquakes and the wars in the world, and they're looking at things in the Bible, and they're looking at the book of Daniel, and it's like, he talks about 70 and 7, and let's do some math, and does that he mean weeks and years and blah, 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 and doing this weird math to just try and figure out when it's going to happen. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, we had a bookstore that was connected to our church, uh, and during this time, during this time period, uh, there was a book, a pamphlet for sale called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Like somebody had, somebody had done the math on all sorts of levels to come up with 88 reasons why this was going to happen in 1988. Um, interesting thing, uh, uh, I was able to get it in 1989 for like 75% off, so that was sweet. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen. Anyway. <laughs> so while people have been wondering about Jesus' return since he ascended into heaven, this idea that the world is going to get worse and worse until Jesus returns to whisk us all away it's actually a fairly new concept. Um, it, it wasn't really popularized until about the early 1800s, um, and, and it was popularized by a guy named John Nelson Darby, who's an Anglican churchman, and, and this was his message. He, he told people the world's going to get worse and worse and worse, and bad things are going to happen, and then Jesus is going to come and whisk us away. And when, and when this message was tried to, sh when he tried to share this message with those in America, it didn't it didn't click with anyone. Because at that time, things were really good here. We were going through a thing called the Great Awakening, or one of them. Religion was thriving. Religion was super popular. And so they wanted, they're like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, cue the 20th century. Things changed a little bit. We had a world war. We had a depression. We had another world war. And all of a sudden, People start latching on to this theology. All of a sudden, things were suddenly not all bubbles and, and unicorns. And believers were now looking through a, set, a different set of lenses. They were trying to interpret what was going on in the world and trying to fit it into Scripture instead of taking Scripture to interpret the world. So when they experience wars and, and natural disasters and other really bad stuff, they're like, this is it. Jesus is going to return. And then what happened? He didn't. And this would continue on and on up through today when we see wars in our world, when we see COVID, we see racial dissension and all the things, and we're like, this is it. Jesus is coming back to fix everything. Or maybe Jesus' second coming is not really like your concern. Maybe that's not your thought life. Maybe you're not even aware of this type of theology, but still you're wondering, when is this all going to end? Like, when is God going to fix all of this stuff? I, I don't know how much more we can take. And maybe your internal thought life sounds like David in Psalm 13, where he wrote, how long will you forget me, Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So, so you're not looking to the skies, waiting for Jesus to show up with a trumpet, but you are doing your share of waiting, you're doing your share of wondering and asking the question, when? Jesus, you say you love me. You say you care about what happens to me. So I'm going to need you to come and take care of this. Chop, chop, Jesus. Let's, let's fix this now, sooner rather than later. When are you going to do something? Maybe... That's the wrong question that we should be asking ourselves. 
I wonder if we need to ask a different question. See, we're, we're all asking the when question, like when is it going to get better? But maybe we should be asking the how question. How should I be living right now in the midst of this? What is my purpose in the midst of all of the bad stuff going on? How should I be living? In Matthew's gospel, Jesus shares a parable with the disciples. And they, they had just come to him and said, Jesus, how are we going to know when the end is coming? Like, are there, are there going to be signs? How can we figure out what the date is going to be? Kind of like we're discussing today. And while Jesus gives them some signs, per se, he also goes on to tell them that nobody knows when that day or hour will come. Not the heavenly angels and not the sun. He's like, I don't even know. I don't even know. Only the Father knows. So if no one knows, what are we supposed to do then? Well, he gives a glimpse in a story he tells in chapter 25. And in the story, there are 10 bridesmaids, 10 who are identified as wise, five who are identified as foolish. The five who were wise had oil for their lamps. They had oil lamps that would give them light at night so they could see where they were going, not fall down. They had oil for their lamps. They were prepared they were ready. The five who were foolish, they did not have oil in their lamps. They were not prepared. They were not ready. So when the groom showed up and the wedding celebration was about to begin, the five who were ready, the five who were prepared, were able to go in and celebrate during the wedding celebration. And those who didn't, well, they were left out. And Jesus' conclusion was, keep alert, because you don't know the day or the hour. Just keep alert. I recently read a, uh, a productivity and cleaning tip that might shed light on what we're talking about here. It said that if you take 10, 15 minutes a day to do some kind of cleaning around your house, when you have a big gathering, when you have a party, when you have family coming in from out of town, it's not that big of a deal to get the house into shape because you've been cleaning all along and you just have to do a little touch-up work. Why? Because you've been getting ready all along. Full disclosure, my wife was out of town for a couple days at camp. I did not follow this advice, and so yesterday was a bad day. Um, I was not prepared. But instead of asking, when will you show up to fix everything? What if instead of asking that, we spent every day preparing for whenever the Lord decided to return? What if we spent every day with that mindset? What if we made sure that we had enough oil in our lamps, to go back to the analogy, so that when he did show up, we were ready? Living as if, as if it were today. But if it's not, well, that's okay. That's okay. How would that change how we approach our lives? I think the shift in preparation would shift our perspective. Instead of wondering about how our lives could be better, about how heaven was going to break through for us, we would instead spend more time focusing on how we could bring heaven to earth for somebody else. Going back to 1 Thessalonians in the section, right before he writes about the return of the Lord, Paul gives a glimpse into what that might look like. He says, you don't need to write about loving your brothers and sisters because God has already taught you to love each other. In fact, you are doing loving deeds for all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. Now we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do so even more. 
Paul says, yeah, the Lord is coming. It's going to happen. He's going to return someday. And here's how we prepare for it. We love. We love. We love well. Around here, we say we love Jesus and we do something about it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. To prepare for the Lord's return, we love people well, all kinds of people. We love people we like. We love people we don't like. We love people that are similar to us. We love people who are different than us. We love people who voted differently, who look different, who live in a different zip code, who, who have a different socioeconomic status. We love people whom society says is simply unlovable. That, that is how we are ready for the Lord to return. But what does that practically look like? Back to Matthew 25. I apologize for all the bouncing around, but it's, it's okay. I, I'm not really sorry. Um, Matthew 25, after Jesus has shared the story of the 10 bridesmaids, he tells another parable. Um, this one is uh, called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in this parable, the son of man, Jesus, separates a people in his kingdom uh, like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. Puts the sheep on one side, uh, the goats on the other side. And the sheep are, for the sake of the conversation today, these are the people who are loving well in preparation for the Lord's return. And Jesus welcomes them into his kingdom by saying, uh, I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison. And you visited me. Loving well looks like alleviating suffering for someone else. When someone is hungry, we feed them. Someone is thirsty, we give them something to drink. When someone is naked, we give them clothes. When someone is sick, we take care of them. Someone is lonely like in prison, we provide community for them. So maybe, just maybe, the key to alleviating suffering in our lives, instead of wishing and waiting that Jesus would come and make it all better for us or pluck us out of the situation, is to bring heaven to earth for someone else. We, we pray all the time, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is saying to you and me, that's right. That's right. You can be the one that makes that a reality in someone else's life. You can be their heaven. So who is hurting in your circle of influence right now? Somebody is. R.E.M. saying everybody hurts sometimes. Somebody's hurting. Somebody's got relationship pain or job pain, physical pain, mental, emotional pain. There are countless stories around each one of us that are culminating in the cry, when are you going to do something about this, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, you, you, you are the answer to their prayers. You are the one who's going to stand in the gap for them. You are the one who's going to provide them with the relief that they so desperately seek. You, you are going to bring heaven to earth for them. But it's not just 
alleviating suffering for someone else that can ease the pain uh, that we experience. Uh, years ago, I went to a youth workers convention in Nashville. Uh, with, uh, I was at a previous church and uh, with one of my coworkers and one of my volunteers. This volunteer's name was Andy. Great dude, worked with our high school guys. They loved him to death, had a great quirky sense of humor. He had some physical difficulties, but that never held him back in anything that we did. And one thing that I learned about him during this trip was his love for food. Dude just loved food. And every meal that we had, the same thing would happen. We would sit there, it would be sitting there enjoying a great burger for lunch. And he'd be eating that thing and his mouth would be full of food, literally food falling out of his mouth. And he would look at me and say, where are we eating dinner, Fitz? And then dinner that night, we're eating, and he'd say, hey, Fitz, where are we having lunch? Food everywhere. Where are we having lunch tomorrow? And I'm like, dude, just eat your burger. Enjoy your burger. Take time to savor that thing that you're experiencing right now. That burger is delicious. That burger is delightful. Savor that burger. I know this life is broken. It's everywhere. Man, is it beautiful. (laughs) It is so beautiful. Right now, in the midst of all the broken stuff, I know that God is a good and loving God who gives good gifts to his children. Jesus' brother James writes this in his letter to the churches. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come down from the Father, the creator of heavenly lights, in whose character there is no change at all. Maybe we need to adjust our focus to see the blessings in our lives too, not just the broken pieces. What if instead of waiting and wishing for Jesus to make it all end, We focused on the things in our lives that we wish would never end. How would that change things? What if instead of waiting for heaven to come so that everything would be made right, we focused on how heaven could come to earth through us? It doesn't have to be an either-or proposition. Jesus said, in this world you have distress, but be encouraged, I have conquered the world. You have distress, he has conquered Both can be equally true. I've said this before on this stage. We were never promised easy. Never. But we have been promised the presence of the one who has conquered. And we've been promised love and beauty. God makes beauty from ashes. And God brings heaven to earth. So I asked the question, who in your circle of influence uh, is experiencing pain right now? I'm going to ask you another question. Where is there beauty in your life? Because it's there. The beauty is there, I guarantee it. Because God is a beautiful creator. Is it in the support of a friend or a mentor who, when you were having that day, you got that text from that person? Maybe you have that kid who you're just like constant friction with that kid. (laughs) And you heard them laugh from their bedroom. 
Like, oh, my kid, I love that kid so much. Maybe it's your circle who accepts you for who you are, not for the person that society says about you. Maybe it's a friend who will come and sit with you in your grief. They don't try and fix everything. They'll just come, bring a milkshake from UDF and sit with you. All those things, those are beautiful gifts that God has given you. We've all got that delicious burger in our lives, don't we? Instead of longing for the next, instead of wishing and waiting things were different, savor your burger. You have beauty in your life. Savor that beauty. You have love in your life. Savor that love. There is grace and acceptance available to you. Don't wish and wait to be gone from this world Savor the grace and acceptance that's been given to you through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. The bad stuff, it ain't going away. But neither is the grace, acceptance, love, and beauty of God. And neither are the opportunities to alleviate the suffering in someone else's life. The chance to be someone's heaven come to earth. So instead of waiting for the bad to go away, be someone's heaven and savor your burger. Let's pray. Jesus, we long for you to return. What a great day that will be. But Jesus, today is a great day too. It hurts sometimes. It's scary sometimes. But it is beautiful too. Help us to savor the goodness that you have given us in our lives. And Jesus, in the midst of our suffering, may we look for others who are broken and hurting and suffering. May we look for ways to be their heaven come to earth. We pray in Jesus' name.